being said, we have one of our own, a really special guy, to come and talk to you a little bit about um, a good word today. And I'm going to ask him to come up here. Jonathan, come do your thing, man. All right. It's on, right? Yeah, there we go. So, wonderful. They left me a phone up here. <laughs> you should need it, right? <laughs> oh, man. All right, if you guys can, go ahead and um, turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14, and we're going to read all the way through verse 22. When you're there, say so. so. Oh, man, you guys got there. Whoa, it's Revelation, right? You just, you just flipped to the end of the book. It's like your math book in, in school, all the answers in the back, so everyone's always there. All right, so, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things say the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see." As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Dear Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. And Father, forgive us for our lack of obedience and our lack of faithfulness. You have time and time again, and since before time, have proven that your promises will be kept. You have assured us that you have the victory, and yet we still decide to go our own way. Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for paying the ultimate sacrifice and clothing yourself with flesh and paying a price that you did not deserve. Thank you for all that you do and all that you are. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Amen. All right. So I know that did not sound like a pastor appreciation type of verse. So let me tell you how I ended up here first before I get into this, because I prepared a pastor appreciation type of preaching. And then uh, I started praying, and I'm, I'm, I'm all good. I'm happy with what I got. 
And I think this, like, this bishop asked me like twice, hey, you ready? You ready? It's like, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. So I, I start praying, and all of a sudden, this just, that is not what the Lord had planned at all. I spent some time right there, and I, right there in Revelations, and I'm like, why? Like, I, I don't know. It, it, it all comes back to pastor appreciation, I promise. There's, there's a spin at the end. There's a spin. But... Um, this was actually quite a radical ride, and I, you know, at the time I was like, okay, maybe, maybe I should stick with the series that Bishop is doing and just continue with that. Nope, that wasn't it either. So the title I have for this preaching for you guys today is Christianity is Not Neutral. With so many competing arguments as to how society should govern itself and what is considered morally correct the church has been a voice of confusion. The true doctrine is washed out by voices of those in the church who openly sweeten the interpretation of the infallible word of God. Instead of an open declaration of the truth of the word of God, the church has either adopted a marriage of worldly ideologies and Christian doctrine or a doctrine of silence in the hopes of remaining relevant. This has created spin-off gospels that fail on all, of count, all accounts of what stands to be the one and only universally true gospel. We tend to interpret neutrality as someone or someones who remain silent, providing no input into opposing arguments and not declaring support for either view. Neutrality, though, is actually a declaration of opposition until proven useful. It is a unique position where one can seek to push their own agenda while also benefiting when opposing parties win or lose. Neutrality is not a place where there is lack of knowledge. This is not an I don't know place. It exists because there is full knowledge of the cause and course of conflict, but no stance is taken to benefit from the direction history will take. The church has full knowledge of the word of God and the desires of society as well. And it has decided to take a stance of neutrality until history has decided who the victor is. The sad part is that God clearly states he has already won. But let's not forget, we're the church. So, my big idea, I believe I call it the purpose statement, it's the same thing as Bishop's big, big idea is, is this. The gospel is a radical expression of Christ's love, commitment, and faithfulness to his creation. As such, it requires a response in the form of a life of love, obedience, and faithfulness. I mean, look at the state we're in. <laughs> it's the, you can look at 2020. Everyone's like, oh, 2020, I can't wait for 2020 to be over. Look before 2020, church. 2020 is, is just a culmination of an, an entire culture just waiting to bubble up and explode. We have let things slide. Yes, this is a nation that is separation between church and state. That is absolutely true. But that does not mean we get to separate God and our lives from state. And this is the problem. The Constitution is law in this land. 
But we as professed Christians have declared that in our lives, the word of God is law. It is true. It is infallible. And as fallible as we are, we strive to do everything we can to be the image bearers of Christ. And the problem is that it just doesn't look good on the other side. Being an image bearer of Christ, all right, image bearer of Christ. I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people here have seen the passion. That, that, that's an image of Christ. You want to bear that image? No. That's, that's a horrible image to bear. I mean, it hurts. It's a lot of pain. There's blood. There's bones cracking. There's piercing. And that's what we're, that's, that's an image of Christ. That's just one small, well, actually not small, that's a very big segment of who Christ is. But church, why have we become so silent or so receiving of what the world is offering? Why do we need to remain relevant with anything that's happening with our culture? We were relevant before this culture even existed. And that's the problem. We tend to base our understanding, our feelings, our emotions, all on what we've learned in school and what's happened to us through life. Our moral compass is based on what we know and what has been taught to us. And I tell you what. There are some Christian family out there who raised wonderful children. And those children have a decent feel for what a moral compass looks like. But it's not until they dive deep into the word of God that they really do adopt such a true moral compass. You want to appreciate Bishop? Everything he says up here? Don't just take it as, yep, that's what I learned on this Sunday. I'm going to try my best to apply it. And all of a sudden, the only food you're getting, the only time you have with Christ in the church is here on a Sunday. You want to appreciate, Bishop? Take what you're learning in here, out there. And he has said it multiple times. It's not about filling seats. It's about expanding the kingdom. Church, we can't be neutral. It's so easy to be neutral. This leads me to my first point. I know I don't sound too happy today. I'm sorry. <laughs> we can't make biblically sound decisions if we don't know who God is. The letter to the Laodiceans starts off like this. In the first verse, these things say the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now, let me preface this letter a little bit because a lot of, like, a lot of people like to take this letter and like to generally apply it. But I'll have you know that this message, this letter is extremely personal. Like when you get down into the depths of it and what is being said to the Laodiceans, this is an extremely personal, targeted message. It's not a blanket statement. And he opens up with who he is. 
And the Laodiceans, they're not just some regular city. Uh, these are, this is a city that is very wealthy, very prosperous, intelligent. These people know exactly who God is. They've studied him. They know his names. They know what he's capable of. They know who he is. They know what he's done for us. Yet, he decides to open up with, this is who I am. He says, I am the amen. Amen can mean a couple things depending on the context, but it all revolves around the same premise. It can mean it is so or so be it. It's meant to be a, a statement of certainty and truth. So when we say amen, right, say bishop up here says an amazing point, and everyone's like, amen, right? That's you saying, so be it. Whether you liked it or not, it was, that was spoken into existence. So be it. It is so. So when you're saying amen, there's a lot of power behind that. When you're praying and you say amen to close everything, you're saying, all that I have prayed, let it be. This is the will of God. So be it. It is certain and it is truth. The faithful and true witness Faithful in the sense that God has consistently proven to deliver from evil and despair and also deliver on his promises. In court, you have eyewitnesses. And those eyewitnesses can be liars. Like, it, like the worst kind. Like those are the worst kind of eyewitnesses, the ones that are not eyewitnesses, right? They didn't see anything. But because nobody was there, they saw everything. And there are people who have spent life in prison unfairly because someone decided to be a false witness. And they had to pay a price that they did not deserve. And you can go on and on. This big thing right now about Black Lives Matter, you can go into the past and find false witnesses that people got punished for, for things they didn't even do. And it's so unfair. But God here declares himself as the true witness. Jesus has ultimately proven the perfect character of God by his life, work, teaching, and death. All other witnesses can and will be found fallible but not Jesus Christ. We have a witness. Which also means we got we to gotta watch what we do. The other name he uses is the beginning of the creation of God. The Greek word here for beginning is arche, which means origin, sovereign ruler, and source. So what's being said here is that he is the source of all creation, the source of all we see. All the problems, everything we're seeing, right? 2020 is crazy. We always have to remind ourselves that Jesus is the source of all that is good. And because of our sin, we're plagued with all this craziness. He reminds the Laodiceans that he is the source. 
Why? Because they're being neutral. They got their own agenda. They're pushing their own things. They know exactly who God is. But they have their own things that they want to push for their benefit. The church is doing the same thing. We got no excuse. We know exactly who God is. I mean, Bishop is up here every Sunday telling you who God is. And I can go to work the next day, and I can see just so many messed up things that people are saying, and I can just not stand up for it. I can just sit there. I can be silent. I don't have to say anything. Because I just, you know, I want to remain silent. I'm just trying to get through the day. And you know what? And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump on the same bus Lou did. The other day, I just, I called Bishop. I was like, yo, I got to talk to you. It was like three weeks ago, and I just dumped life on him. Like, I just like, yo, here it is. Here's, uh, here's the two-hour breakdown of the past three months. And uh, I hate my life. <laughs> Somebody help me. I just, I don't, I don't like what's going on right now. Like, why did God put me here? I mean, come on, and like, I did, I did everything I was supposed to do, I, I, I'm trying to be a, a good leader for the youth, and all of a sudden, just life is just not going the way I want, and because of that, I just, you know, when I go to work every morning, and sometimes I really just don't want to be there, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to eat breakfast, I stay quiet all day, and yes, I may be struggling with what's going on there at work, but God has me there for a reason. And he may not be keeping me there, or maybe he will keep me there, right? But I'm there for a reason. You think Paul liked being in prison? You think Paul liked dealing with the things he dealt with, getting stoned, practically dying? Paul wasn't happy about any of that. Yet, in the midst of all of that, he was preaching the gospel. And he had so much joy. And I just, I just don't like my job. That's not even comparable. Like, I'm over here complaining that I have to wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning to go run an experiment with a, a bunch of students who don't know what they're doing. Right? So I end up having to do all the work for them. That, that's, that's my big complaint. That's me getting stoned, right? And I, I don't. And these students, they need help. I can see it. The way they talk, the way they joke about things, the way they joke about death, the way they talk about what's happening in 2020. And you know what I'm doing? I'm just trying to get through the day because these sinners are just plaguing my mind and I can't wait to get to church. Because they're, they're polluting me. But church, I know who God is. I know exactly who he is. So why am I letting students destroy his name and I remain silent? You know why? Because I want to remain relevant at work and relevant with these students in terms of relationship. If I start to give any type of pushback, you think they're going to want to talk to me? You think they're going to send me emails? You think they're going to ask me questions and all this stuff? 
No. I got I to gotta save face at work. That's, that's, that's what's going through my head. If we bear the banner of Christ but have no idea who he is, then we are left to describe him on our own volition. If you're not in the word, if you're not seeking Christ, if you're not seeking fellowship with the church, then your description of who God is is going to be based on who you are. There's no way you can get around that. Aldo said it last week. We are ambassadors for Christ. And when the ambassador of our nation goes to another nation, they're not confused about what our rules are. Matter of fact, they're there to let everyone know what our rules are, what we stand for, what we don't stand for. It's the same thing. When you go to work, when you go to the grocery store, and all of a sudden someone asks a question, and that little feeling that you get like, man, this person might need some prayer. And you're just like, no, 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 no. That was, I'm just hungry, right? We bear Christ's name. And if we really don't know who he is, we better be careful with bearing his name. And that's why people are so confused with Christianity. Because there's people who bear Christ's name, but the way they declare who he is is based off their own desires. I don't know is not an answer. And we, I can go on and on about tough questions. Matter of fact, if you guys want to see tough questions, parents of the youth, I would love to see you on a Wednesday with these kids. They ask tough questions. And they don't take I don't know from me as an answer. Matter of fact, if I say I don't know, they're like, okay, all right, so we're going to sit down and figure it out. I know because that's what happened. I don't know is not an answer if you bear Christ's name. And yes, there's going to be some times where a question gets brought our way that we legitimately do not know. But you know what we do know? We know exactly who God is. He's infallible and he's faithful. And you can lean on that and you know that's true and you can declare that in those tough situations. God knows what's best for us because he knows us completely. If we are to understand his will, we should strive to know him completely. Um, so there's this, uh, and this may not be for everyone, right? But there's this uh, Japanese cartoon and anime that's pretty popular that I have never seen. I've never seen this thing. I think it's, uh, it's called uh, Naruto, right? And don't worry, you don't have to know about it. You don't have to know about Japanese culture. I'm not going into any of that. I'm just trying to, you know, explain a, um, a point here. I remember I saw, like, two episodes from the very beginning of the series. And mind you, this thing is, like, a thousand episodes long. And, like, no joke. I think it's, like, 800. And I saw, like, three or four episodes in the beginning of the thing. And I was like, I don't know. I'm not into this. And then I saw, like, a few episodes at the very, very end. I have no right. And that whole, and there's a big following for that, for, that, uh, for that series. I can't tell you what happened in between. I know how it started. I kind of know how it ended. 
But if I was to try and fill in the gaps without actually having sat down and, which I never will, watch 800 episodes, right? I can't tell you what goes on in between. And if I tried, I will be ostracized from anyone who actually watched that show. Like, no, no, that's not the point. That's not what it was about. God knows us completely. That's why he knows what's best for us. But I tell you what, he knows what's best for us. But if we don't strive to know who he is, then we won't experience what's best for us. Anyone who's married will definitely know this, that you're always continually getting to know your better half or the other half, right? That it's, just, it's just something. Yes, I did say that. <laughs> it's just something that goes along with marriage. You're always getting to know the other person, and you never get to know them completely, right? You're always learning. There's always something else. You're always growing together. It's the same thing. If you're not getting to know the other person, then what's going to happen? We start to see divorce rates go up, right? We start to see a lot of people doing trials where I'm going to move in with this person to see if things work out, right? Because it's risky. Because it's not about getting to know the other person. It's about the other person getting to know you, your wants, your needs, so that you can be happy. Stole that from yesterday. <laughs> so how can we know what God wants for us if we're not even going out of our way to communicate with him? God wants to bless us, but in a manner that is spiritually healthy. And to understand what healthy is, we have to begin to explore Christ and his likeness. The Laodiceans knew all of this. None of the stuff that I've said is, old, is, is news to the Laodiceans at this point in time. None of this. This leads me to my second point. Spiritual independence is useless because the church exists on a model of spiritual interdependence. And a lot of people get tripped up here. A lot of people, because a lot of people think nowadays that's what we're taught. We need to be independent. We need to be able to go out on our own and do things on our own. Matter of fact, I ran away from home because I wanted to be independent. I got so sick and tired of church and the life that goes with it and all this stuff being shoved down my throat, and I packed my bags, and I just drove until I ran out of gas, and I ended up here in Orlando. I wanted to be independent, and when I made it, when I became successful, I wanted God to have nothing to do with it. And I tell you what, in that whole time, I didn't get into drugs. I didn't start smoking and hanging out with people and dancing at clubs and getting into a bunch of nonsense and different relationships and all that. No, no, I stayed clean because I knew what was right, because I was instructed what was morally correct, and I stayed with that because I knew that that was going to give me success in life. And that that was going to produce real relationships. But I wanted nothing to do with God, and I didn't want to give him any credit. I was independent, and I used the teachings of the Spirit and the wisdom of God to get there. 
and I didn't want to give him any credit because I was spiritual. That's not how the spirit works. Verse 15, I know your works. That's so scary. That you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. Nothing is hidden from God, and God does not hide his desire from us. And a lot of people like to take this. And let me give some background, just a little bit more background on Laodicea. Laodicea is like this triad of cities, right? So there's Laodicea here. Southeast of them is, is, is Colossae. And to the north of them is, man, I wish I could say it. It starts with an H. It's like Heriopolis or Polis or something like that. You know what? If you're here... Hierapolis. There we go. So for second service, I'm going to get it perfect. <laughs> All right? I, I just forgot how to say it. That's okay, though. <laughs> so that's to the north, right? And a lot of people like to think, oh, man, what, what's being said here is that Jesus is basically saying, I wish you were against me or I wish you were for me. That's not, that's not in Christ's nature to say, I wish you were against me. I'd rather you be against me. So I mentioned earlier that this is a personal message to the Laodiceans. To the southeast, Colossae, they're right by a river, and that river provides refreshingly cold water. And to the north is Herapolis. That sounds so good. All right, Herapolis, and they're like in this mountainous region, and they have these nice, wonderful hot springs. Laodicea does not have access to water. They actually have to draw their water with these aqueducts that are about six to seven miles long. And there's these stone pipes. So the water is coming from this cold area or hot area, depending on which, which side the aqueducts are coming from. And they have to go through six miles. So by the time it gets to Laodicea, this water has passed through mold, algae. It's no longer cold nor hot. It's lukewarm. And it's disgusting. So by the time it gets to Laodicea, the, no matter how wealthy they are, no matter how amazing they are and how intelligent they are and all these things they've invented, they got nasty water. So Jesus makes this personal. I wish you were hot or cold because hot water is useful and cold water is useful. But this disgusting, lukewarm water is just not useful at all. You can't drink it. You can't do anything with it. Even if you boiled it, you're just going to stick with all the nasty stuff that's in there anyway. And to put this in context for America, when you go to Starbucks and you order a coffee, they don't say, would you like it hot, iced, or lukewarm? They say, would you like it hot or iced? Because nobody wants lukewarm coffee. Right? You're either getting it hot or iced because both taste good. But it's been sitting in your car for a while. What do you do with it? You trash it. This is what he's saying to Laodicea. He's not saying, I wish you were against me or I wish you were for me. He's saying, I wish you were useful. That's worse. He's pretty much saying, you guys know all about me. You know exactly who I am, but you're absolutely useless. You're like vomit. The only good thing you're for is to leave the system. That is it.
Laodicea was an intelligent city, and they knew very well who God was, and they studied his words in depth. That knowledge, though, was only used to gain when needed and then placed aside. So there's a lot of this stuff going, uh, going down politically at this time where um, <clears throat> Christians, uh, depending, you know, a new power comes into Rome, and there's a bit of oppression on Christianity. And a lot of churches, a lot of cities, they stood up, and they were persecuted. Laodicea is like, eh, we're going we're gonna to take what we know, and we're going to spin it. And so they have this weird relationship with the political structure in Rome and the church there. Remember, they're wealthy. They stand a lot to gain. And a lot of people trust them because they're morally right. right? And to put it in perspective how wealthy these people are, there was an earthquake that happened in Laodicea, and the FEMA of Rome offered them money to rebuild the city, and Laodicea was like, oh, we got this. We got enough money. We'll rebuild it ourselves. They rebuilt their own city. That's how independent they are. As children of Christ, we are called not only into a relationship with God and his church, we are called to make a stand and declare the will of God, not his will as it benefits us. The church today is an extremely confusing place to be. Not here, though. Corfe's is amazing. Just talking in general. It is. It is confusing. I mean... Everyone believes different things. There are churches that allow homosexuals into the building, and then they're allowed to be saved. I mean, the list goes on of how confusing things can be because there's so many ways to interpret it, right? There's only one way to interpret it, but that's, that's, what, that's what it looks like. There's so many ways to interpret it. So then you have someone outside looking in, and they don't know what to believe. And the worst is sometimes they read, and they're like, whoa, whoa, that's not what the Bible says anyway. I don't even believe what, what, what you guys believe, but what you're doing is wrong. There are people who don't want to be Christian because of Christians. I, I know this because I, I have a friend of mine who tells me, I believe everything that the Bible says, but I just don't like dealing with you Christians. I'm like, that is the exact opposite of what the Bible says. If we only use God for his wisdom and knowledge, then he would rather cast us out. <clears throat> Our independence is simply just blind arrogance. We stand as Christians to gain a lot of worldly wealth, utilizing the principles laid out in God's word. That does not mean a fulfillment of his purpose, but of ours. Bishop has brought it up plenty of times, of prosperity garbage. There are people who like preach like an insane healing doctrine where like we're pretty much just like invincible. Right? And man, they can just bathe it in scripture and it sounds so real. I know because I believed it. And I just, it's so sad that I sometimes have no counter-argument. Like, they know their scriptures so well. And sometimes I'm just like, wow, man, you know more than I do. I know what you're saying is wrong, but it sounds so right, and I have nothing to base it on, right? Because I'm so independent in my own stuff, right? I only read when I need to read. I only pray when I need to pray. 
I only appreciate Bishop once a year. <laughs> right? And it becomes about you. And you get so involved with your family, with your job, with everything that's going on. And then you just sort of like wiggle in the church. And a lot of people, I mean, I've heard it where they're, you know, you ask them, you know, how's it going? Like, I, this question bothered me. I did a disciple making rooted uh, with Bishop. And like, literally, one of the questions is like, who did you disciple? I'm like, oh, why you got to ask me that, bro? Like, come on. And, and like, the, 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 my, favorite, my favorite answer that I would use is like, oh, I was talking to my brother. I talk to my brother like every week. But I was discipling my brother. I'm working on my brother. And I called him to talk about like some projects I wanted to do, some stuff I wanted to do on the car. And then I was like, hey, man, I'm praying for you. I just tossed it in there at the end. I, that was my discipleship. Because I'm so independent. I'm, I, and, and, and even when I became a Christian, I'm, I still dealt with a lot of the stuff that I, I dealt with when I was trying to run away from God. And, you know, even when I was a Christian, this sounds messed up. But, hey, I became a Christian on my own. I found God on my own. So you can go figure it out too. Life was hard. Even when I became a Christian, it wasn't easy, right? The, the transition wasn't easy. I had to learn a lot, and there was a lot of overcoming I had to do, and no one was there to hold my hand with the overcoming, right? I had to figure all out how to deal with my flesh. I got super proud, like so proud. Like, look at me. I made it. I got over the old me. I was still dealing with the old me. I just didn't realize it because I had blind arrogance, that's what neutrality does to you, right? When you start to become spiritually independent, you start to become self-reliant, self-sufficient. You become blind to everything else that the church is doing. You become blind to the pain that is around you. I got into a discussion with a, with a coworker about um, what happens to, uh, you know, children that really don't, you know, that die and they really didn't have any type of, um, uh, how do you say, um, conscious decision of who God was, right? They, they had no idea. They're very, very young, right? Mind you, this person is not Christian. I mean, I got, I got triggered. I was like, really? What about all those babies you were for boarding? You want to you talk to me about, about Christ, right? And, and, and maybe point out like some weird areas where the Bible is not too clear what's going on. But hello, you're clearly for aborting babies. And you want to talk to me about Christ's position on what happens to a, a child who's not making a conscious decision? Hold on. This argument went the wrong way. Because I tell you what, my God, Christ, the one and only, cared for that child. right? Cared for that child. And what you're telling me is that depending on the situation, it was probably better to not even have that child try to exist. Now, let's step back, right? That's, that's thinking about the scenario there. What about the families, the mothers, the women that are suffering with what's going on, that's suffering with the decision that they made? There is a lot of psychological backlash with such a decision, what about them? So don't be talking to me about a situation, about a topic 
and be blind about what's going on around you. And church, we do that. Why? Because there's some topics in the church, even within the church, because we're not all perfect, and sometimes we have disagreements in this building, and we don't want to talk about it. You know why we don't want to talk about it? Because we're spiritually independent. Therefore, I am right. They're wrong. And you are blind to what's going on. You don't want to step back. You don't want to look at the situation. You don't even want to pray about the situation because you know you're right. Disagreements do not belong in the church. And you know what happens when they're in the church? They're looking. And we look broken. The enemy wants us to think that when we use God for our benefit in such a manner and things actually go our way, that it was God's purpose for us. It's dangerous when you know what's in the Bible, when you can apply the word of God in your life and in others' lives only for your benefit, only because you're being selfish and it works out. The enemy wants that to happen because then once, what ends up happening is you're instilling inside yourself that your purpose, that your reason for coming to God is working out. Therefore, he approves. How many times have we done anything for the church and stopped to pray about it? And let me just confess something here. When Bishop asked me to step in and help the youth, I'm going to be honest. I said yes. And I prayed afterwards. It worked out. It worked out. And I didn't, I didn't think twice. And my reason for saying yes after retrospecting and looking and meditating was not because I actually wanted to help. That's what I told myself for a long time. But when I sat down and I actually thought about it, I was running away from work. I wanted an excuse so that on Wednesdays, I could get out at 5 o'clock instead of 8 o'clock. And that sounds so messed up. The music team is not up here because they like to sing, they like to play. That is true. They do like to sing. They do like to play. Man, do they love to worship. It is amazing what they do up here, and it's bathed in prayer. It's not blind. Don't let the enemy confuse you into your purpose and your forcing of God's will to make it look like it's his purpose. Pray about it, because if not, you'll just keep blind, and you'll keep going. So I left off in verse 15. That's, uh, that's two verses. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, I have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. This leads me to my third point. The gospel refines what we lack 
clothes us in security and opens our eyes to the truth. In verse 18, it says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Neutrality, spiritual independence, this ultimately stems when we lack and seek to gain because we are insecure of our current position in life, which blinds us to the truth. When we lack, when we hurt, when we need comfort, we become insecure. And when we become insecure, we tend to grab onto the first thing that makes sense. And when we do that, we're blind to everything else. It's like a middle school drama type of situation, right, where so-and-so said something to so-and-so, but you like the other so-and-so, so therefore that person is totally messed up and the other person is completely right, right? Because you like the other person and you stand to gain from hopefully a possible relationship, right? And because of that, you're blind to everything else. And what ends up happening is, if you look into that scenario, you're insecure about who you are, and you see yourself in somebody else. Therefore, you're going to be blind, purposely blind, to what the other side is saying because you seek to gain. It all comes back to you, right? Everything comes back to you, and it's not about us. In Isaiah 51, uh, 55, verses 1 through 2, one of these days... I'm going to preach, and I'm going I'm I'm to invest in an iPad. That's what it is. That's what I need. Because uh, I have so many pages. In Isaiah uh, chapter 55, verses 1 through 2, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have, no, who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. So I actually, when I came across verse 18, and it's, it's being told to the Laodiceans that they need to buy gold refined in the fire. Laodiceans got money. Like, what are they, they, they probably have gold refined in the fire. Right? So... And then he talks about um, purchasing white garments that you may be clothed. Laodiceans actually had a monopoly on a specific type of garment, right, that was black. So they don't need clothes. That, uh, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, eye salve that you may see. Laodiceans actually invented a type of medicine for your eye that... Um, helps cure like a type, of, uh, a type of blindness. So they were very, very famous for that. And like I said, this letter is personal, right? Jesus is hammering away at them. But why buy? 
they are so good at buying. Why ask them to buy? Right? And when you look back at what Isaiah is saying, something was bought, right? Salvation is not free. The word buy here means that there indeed was an exchange. And the exchange here is a price that has already been paid. And the Laodiceans can't buy that. We can't buy that, right? You can't be silent or neutral enough with the people around you that they eventually gain some type of respect for you that then you can put Christianity in the mix. And that's, that's a tactic that I've tried to use in the past where I try to be neutral. I try not to say anything. I try not to offend anybody. I try not to trigger anybody so that they can be my friend and then maybe one day I can invite them out to lunch and then bam, lay it on them. You know what happens when you do that? They get confused. Where were you when we were having all these other, other arguments? Why were you so silent? Oh, I was just trying to be your friend. Oh, really? Well, you could have backed me up. Oh, but it's just that I didn't agree with you. Well, then you could have jumped on the other side. So now I feel like I'm getting stabbed in the back. I thought we were buddies. Now I don't feel like we're buddies. The Laodiceans can buy what they need, right? And we can do that with people. We can be quiet. We can be relevant to them. We can try and buy our way into their lives and try and mix Jesus all up in there. It's just going to create confusion. Jesus paid a price that we cannot pay. Therefore, you have to let everyone know exactly where you stand, there can be no question that who you are was bought by the sacrifice paid on that cross. If you're that open, everyone knows exactly who you are. They know exactly where you stand. I tell you what, when they're confused, who are they going to come to? Right to you. They're not going to come to the dude who never said anything. The gospel corrects lack by providing a richness of grace provided by an amazing sacrifice. It was not free. It corrects insecurity by providing a sureness in the promise of God. This was sown through the fabric of time and into eternity. The gospel corrects blindness by providing the truth that is his word, which, has, which was before time began. There is nothing we can do to correct because of sin. Neutrality, though, is not without its consequences. In verse 19, it says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Christ loves us, loves, loves us enough to disapprove slash criticize our behavior and to correct us with discipline. And nobody likes correction. Nobody likes discipline. Unless... You're the one disciplining. No, I'm just kidding. That's not how that works either. Christ does not enjoy in disciplining us. And discipline is not easy. And sometimes we don't even talk about that in the church. We talk about how life is hard. Yeah, life is so hard. You become a Christian. You got to stand up for all these things, blah, blah, blah. Nobody wants to talk about the discipline. We mess up. We do. And sometimes we mess up real bad. And sometimes we hurt people really close to us. And sometimes we hurt the church. 
You don't get to get away with that. And you don't get to get away with it because, you know, that's the way God is and he has all these rules. No, you don't get to get away with it because he loves you and he desires to correct. And he desires to rebuke so that you can grow. You can't step out of neutrality and be right away spiritually interdependent. Independence is an extremely difficult habit, trait to break. And learning to be interdependent is difficult. I know because I didn't tell Bishop anything about who I was until maybe about after two and a half, three years. He knew nothing about me. And I liked it that way because then I can have whatever face I need to have when I'm here at Cold Faith. Why, why do you guys need to know who I was? You just need to know who I am, right, and who I'm going to be. But why is who you were so important? Because that transition, there was discipline there. It was overcoming you had to do. Discipline sucks, but we should definitely not despise it. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 5 through 6. What a wonderful verse. And you have forgotten. We forgot. You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. And if we were to stop right there, it's almost like, oh, something good's about, something good's about to happen. We forgot something. We forgot about the promise. We forgot about the blessing, right? Nope. You didn't forget about that. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Of course I forgot that. I forgot that when it happened. I didn't want to remember that. From whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son, not just some, every son whom he receives. Every Son, you cannot escape discipline, son. It's going to happen. And when it does happen, don't forget. Right? You better not forget because that moment, that tearing apart, that destruction of the old self makes you who you are. That defines your testimony. And if you keep that and if you forget that, you end up becoming neutral. Yep, I'm getting an iPad. <laughs> if we truly heed God's discipline, we will repent and eagerly, eagerly pursue his will and obedience no matter what that looks like. At the end of verse 18, uh, sorry, verse 19, it says, therefore, be zealous and repent. Man, this is so funny. Like, you just got rebuked. You just got disciplined. You were spiritually spanked. And it hurt. And he's like, all right, hit the ground running. You better be zealous. You better be eager and repent. That's what discipline should do for us. And sometimes, you know what happens when you're getting disciplined? become so mopey. Ah, I'm paying for that, man. I just can't wait for this to be over. All right, God, finish up your discipline. Okay, two more spanks. 
All right. No. Be excited about the discipline. You're being transformed. And transformation sounds great, but, I mean, we're talking about taking body parts off and transforming you into a new creature, right? That hurts. It ain't no Autobots roll out type of deal. Like, that's, that's not how that works. You don't just get to click a button and turn into a Lamborghini. Just don't happen that way. You got to get disassembled. And the parts got to get put where they're supposed to go. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Christ desires a unified relationship with his bride, the church. In the series that Bishop is going over, Indivisible, you know what makes us indivisible? Unified church. Not a church in disagreement. Not a church in confusion. Not a church trying to adopt worldly principles so that we can make sure that we are filling seats or so that we can pretend that we are expanding the kingdom by letting other things in, by changing what the kingdom looks like so it looks bigger. That is a broken church. Christ desires a unified church. And when you're truly unified, based on his word, bathed in his grace, we are indivisible. We cannot be divided. Does not compute. Jesus, Jesus specifically mentions those who overcome as he overcame. Overcoming is not easy, right? I mean, Jesus overcame. All that stuff was planned out. But when we're battling our flesh, that's not an easy overcome, right? And a lot of people, man, I've done, I'm sure everyone has done this prayer at some point. God, just fix me. So much easier if you do that. Because I don't want to deal with this and I don't want to overcome. Just radically change me. You want a radical change? Start having radical thoughts. Start having radical reading time. Start having radical praying time. Right? Right? You want to overcome? God isn't just going to kick you to the other side. And even if he did, that kick is discipline. You ain't going to like it anyway. Be radical with your overcoming. Don't Run away from it. The last thing, all of this, even though this is a personal message to the church of Laodicea, he ends with this. This is not just directed to the church, but to any who are willing to listen. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Christ says he's knocking at the door. Christ doesn't come in choice moments in your life, right? There wasn't 10 different moments in the entirety of your lifespan where you had an opportunity to come to Christ. That's not the way it works. He is standing at the door knocking. 
I got a little dog in my house. It's like this big, right? And if you go to bed and you lock her out of the room, she's scratching on that door all night, nonstop. And it is so annoying. I can't sleep. It bothers me. And then I open the door, let her in, and everything's quiet and I'm good, right? Christ is standing at the door knocking nonstop. And we deliberately ignore there's not 10 choice moments. There's not, I got to wait until I get here, then I can uh, talk to Christ. No, he's there the whole time. He's knocking at the door for everyone who's willing to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what the Spirit is saying to us, let those outside of the church also hear. What the Spirit says to us doesn't just reflect to us. We have to go and make disciples. All right. So I got some questions for you guys. Take home and think about so you won't be neutral. Christ calls us to avoid neutral spiritual independence. But are we ignoring him? Because sometimes being neutral is just so easy and so good. But Christ is letting you know he's knocking at that door. And if so, if we aren't ignoring him, are we willing to allow Christ's loving discipline and his gospel, his gospel, to correct our independence? All right. Got some weather updates today. All right, with that, I'm going to pray, and we'll move right into communion. Dear Lord, thank you for who you are and everything that you do. Father, cure us of our spiritual independence. And sometimes, Father, sickness is not one day to the next you're healed. There is a healing process. The body has to learn to fight. The body has to learn how to deal with the incoming pathogens. Father, cure us of our independence. Be with us. But Father, most of all, remind us of your son and what he did for us on that cross. Father, thank you for who you are, and thank you for all that you do. I pray these things in your son's great name, Jesus Christ. Amen.